right, we're here for another episode. Things have been crazy. Crazy is the word I would use. Both in our social lives, in the professional lives, and just really the world out there right now, I'd say. I don't think I ever want to bet on sports again uh, because March Madness has effectively ruined my bank account and my belief in the ranking system we use. Bank account, belief, but I am getting a lot of work out on the couch. That's true. Right? Yeah, uh, great. I'm keeping Grubhub's employees afloat as well, too. Yes. So it's, uh, it's been a good couple weeks. I'm looking forward to tonight as well, too. Always support local business, and yes, absolutely, I would say it's fair to assume my Uber Eats fills have been through the roof. Through the roof. Yeah. Right, um, but fair. that being said, it's been a great tournament. Yeah, um, yeah. As, just as bizarre as that tournament's been, I think the industry's been as bizarre too, right? Honestly, maybe a sign of how crazy the times are in real estate right now. This is the first year I've ever seen where I haven't noticed things slow down for March Madness. It's like the buyers and the sellers just kept continuing, and they know that they want to go watch that stuff, but like we, none of us have time to take the day off and go watch basketball right now. It's no. unreal. No, and I mean, like that being said, we were just talking. I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. At no, point, no, it's right? been too long. I mean, we talk all the time with clients, and then we realize we haven't actually seen each other in person, which is like a weird dynamic of the whole virtual world, I guess. But uh, my clients, I'm starting to hear, are starting to go back to work this week and starting to have announcements of coming back to a little bit more regular life and which means traffic which right <laughs> naturally means traffic so we have to life. deal with that again but again <laughs> we're back baby i'll take Chicago. The, i'll take the ability to go out and do stuff i agree if we have to I agree. deal with traffic so right? i think uh we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot um we're at the end of march here and just had one of the craziest I would say weeks in interest rates history that we've had, uh, at least recent history. Craziest couple weeks, I'd be honest with you. Yeah. You know, it's, we get alarms when interest rates are repricing. And I mean, every half day, I'm getting an alarm that we need to either lock or stuff might be moving around or whatever it may be. You know, that being said, right now we're at nearly a five year high for interest rates. Five years? Five years, I mean, which is crazy to think about. You know, a five year high. That being said, relatively to still historically low. You're right. Five yeah. years relative to 10 or 15 or 20. I mean, it's still, still historically low. low. Yeah. But, you know, it's worth noting that we're at a high point. You know? What was the actual, like, if, if I had called you last week on Wednesday versus this week on Wednesday, what was the actual rate difference? I'd roughly? say you'd be looking at roughly a quarter to an eighth of a point difference. Wow. You know, and, wow. and I have it here in my notes. In the last three months, we've swung nearly a point and a quarter in interest rates. Wow. Which is the largest three-month swing since 1994. What is driving that? I mean, how, how in your <sighs> best opinion, can you explain the craziness that we're seeing? Well, it And goes, I obviously have opinions I will share. I hope you do, right? <laughs> and it goes without saying, you know, this wasn't unexpected. Yeah. You know, yeah. we all anticipated interest rates to go high. That being said, what was unexpected was the sheer amount they went up and right. the, in the short amount of time they went up too. Right. Right. There's obviously a lot of factors, you know, most importantly inflation, you yeah. know, we constantly hear about inflation, especially right now. Um, it's a hot point in the news being that we're at a 40 year high in inflation. Wow. Right? What's inflation? You know, that's obviously the rise in costs of goods or services over time. Right. Right. Why do we care about that? Because it influences consumers' purchasing power. Absolutely. Right? Soaring prices means interest rates are going to rise up a little bit. Right? right? So we typically see that. Now, in addition to inflation, Fed monetary policy 
right? At Every the, time the Fed gets on camera, I just expect it's going to be a bad week. Since September, they've revisited their policy seven times. <laughs> seven Out times of necessity, since, just to keep up with what's happening in the market? Is it just to, to curb inflation? and? I think, you know... Both? Yes, to both, both right? Yeah. And I think they're kind of learning as they go as well, too. Well, yeah, right? I think we're all doing that. Right. Um, that being said, when we started the pandemic, right, you know, about two years ago at this point, the Fed started to buy a lot of mortgage-backed securities. Wow. Which, yeah. in doing that, they were keeping interest rates very low. And when I said earlier we were expecting interest rates to be high, that's because the Fed announced years ago that they were going to start to remove this policy about now, too. So... Did we expect interest rates to increase? Yes, we did. Did we expect them to increase at the velocity of which they're doing? Not a chance. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's obviously changed the industry a lot, a little bit, and how clients are being offered interest rates, what kind of products are out there, but also who they're working with as well, too. Right. Like, for instance, right now we're talking about adjustable rate or ARM products more so now than ever. We're also talking about pain points. You know, if you want to buy your interest rate down, a lot of those questions are what we're determining is how long you're going to be in that property for what route we're going to go with that. I guess, relatively speaking, I have to assume we've got a lot of people who are cash rich right now. They made good returns on the market last year or for the last couple of years, maybe, or maybe they have good equity in their home and they're in a good position to sell. So they're looking for strategies in some way to offset what's occurring with the interest rate, right? I mean, as best they can. Certainly, certainly. And I mean, at this point in time, what I'm telling people is let's not think of this as a 30-year loan. Right. Let's think of this as maybe a five-year loan. I don't know that I've had a client live in their home for 30 years. I'd like I mean, to I certainly that. I haven't been in the business for 30 years, but nobody intends to, when they buy, stay that long. Certainly, you, you know? know, and I think oftentimes people kind of get caught up in that as, hey, this is a 30-year product. Right. The reality is most people are gonna be in their mortgage for you know five to seven years before right. they either refinance it into something or sell and maybe move up or out. So then I'm assuming when you're talking ARM products, you're talking like a five or 10 year ARM with the assumption that that buyer is going to most likely migrate to a different asset at some point during that time. Absolutely. Before they would hit You know, that. we never put someone in an ARM product with the thought process of seeing it ever adjust. Right. You know, so if this is a five year product, if this is a five year home, maybe let's look at a seven year ARM. Right. right? If you don't know what you're gonna be doing, a 10-year arm buys you 10 years. Right. That's a lot of time. Right. You know? And like we said, chances of you being in that mortgage for even longer than 10 years is very unlikely. Statistically seems pretty low. Right? Correct. Yeah. So again, right now I'm really telling people to let's look at this as maybe a five-year loan right. as opposed to a 30 because we're using it as a vehicle to get into the property. Correct. And then we'll eventually refinance into something long-term when the market calls for it. It's interesting because I, I hear you talking about rates and it's highs, right? Highs on the interest rate, highs on inflation, highs on the applications for loans we've seen. Yep. And then, then when we switch over to the real estate world, we're talking about lows, right? Lows. Uh, the reason that it's very competitive is we have historically low inventory right now. I mean, not all neighborhoods are bad, but as a city, I mean, we're operating around three months of inventory. Yeah. I'll throw this term out there. A lot of times you'll hear real estate agents or lenders talk about month's supply of inventory. The general premise is, is if we stopped listing homes today and sold everything that's on market, how long do we think it would take to sell everything that's out there? A balanced market, we usually say, is about six months inventory. Good so that's about sellers, buyers. You're about equal. It's not a sellers or a buyers market. 
now with the city roughly at three and some neighborhoods are like one or one and a half. I've seen under one. Under one is like, I mean, it's just so competitive. And that's why you probably hear, not just me, but every real estate agent and their brother banging the drums like, we need listings, please sell your home. We want to sell your home. We do need listings. We're like dying for people to list these homes. Now I understand the hesitation. What they're going into is a hyper-competitive buyer market. Interest rates are difficult to deal with right now. They're They're unpredictable. Right. So I do think it's a pretty stark contrast in the fact that you have buyers coming to you. They're dealing with uncertain terms on the interest rates. And then when they come to me, they're dealing with so few homes to see that it's immediately competitive. It's immediately multiple offers or immediately a bidding war. Right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. Where I can't tell you the last time I had a client that wasn't going up against five to 10 other people. Right? Right. Or I've sent a letter to somebody who told me, hey, never mind, the property's already under contract. In in hours, right? In hours. <laughs> like sometimes a day at list. In hours. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I mean, it, it, it's definitely a grind out there, especially for the people that need to buy a house. Right. You know, um, that being said, I think we wanted to go into a little bit of the things that we're doing right now that might be able to differentiate or at least set us up or part differently from the other competition. Totally. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, Derek and I do a lot of internal bitching, if you will, about what we're seeing in the market and our frustrations. And a lot of that is worn by, I mean, let's face it, even the best agent in this marketplace, we're losing. There's losses out there. I have buyers who, when they're winning, they're doing so through some bloody deals. And buyers who are unfortunately not being able to succeed against some of the competition. So I think that what we'd like to kind of take away from this video, maybe some of the ways that people have been successful, right? In the craziness that does exist, there are a certain number of people that have to buy now. Yep. If that is you, what can you do today to try and be better at what you're trying to accomplish? In my world, I think navigating multiple offers comes with figuring out pain, figuring out your pain, figuring out the seller's pain, because all you're trying to do is craft an offer that best hits what the seller's trying to accomplish, but also doesn't cross your threshold for how much pain you're willing to go through in a deal. So this is when we're talking about things like waiving appraisals Mm -hmm. or waiving mortgage contingencies Mm -hmm. or closing sooner versus later, right? Even though you have a lease that ends in 90 days, not 30, right? These types of decisions, every buyer has to make. And it's just like, what are you willing to sacrifice? And what does the seller want that you can try and hit? I mean, they were doing this in all transactions, but it seems like now more than ever, we need to get creative and we need to kind of make a combination of all those mechanisms to win a deal. Correct. Like for instance, I have people just throwing out stupid closing timelines right now. Anywhere from three to four weeks and sometimes even under two weeks for single family homes. Can you, I mean, you probably could with all hands on deck in a market that's not crazy, get it done in a couple weeks, but I mean, it's not ideal, right? It's not ideal. It, it, it takes a special client and that they need to have everything on their desktop yeah, everything already. Everything ready. Right? Yeah. Um, but one of the process, Property that's ready to be approved. Property that's ready yeah. to be approved. Ideally, it helps if it's a single family home. I'm not dealing right. with an HOA. No condo docs. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But one of the processes I'm taking advantage of right now is I'm having pre-approvals underwritten. Oh, pre-underwritten. Correct. Interesting. So not only are we offering a pre-approval letter, but we're also giving a commitment letter as well, too. Oh, interesting. So we're coming into this offer already underwritten. The only two outstanding conditions are we need to run an appraisal if needed. Right. We'll touch on that next, but also we'll need to get the lock loan, the loan locked. Right. right? So we're taking what would be a 30 to 40 day transaction and shrinking that down to maybe under two weeks. 
See, that's crazy because if I, if I think about my competitive world, two things come to mind. There's obviously a lot you can change in a contract, but from the lending side of things, people want to know, is this person well-funded? Can they afford this transaction? Right? And I would say even as an extension of that, can they comfortably afford this transaction? Because the fear is if their financial st stability changes at all, does the deal come in jeopardy? Right? Certainly. Yeah, and it will. The other half of it is, can the lender get this deal done? Because there are a number of lenders out there, insert online lender here, that will give you a rate, right? If you click a link mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and tell you that they can deliver and they'll tell you they can do it in three weeks even and there's no shot. You never had a shot from the time you clicked that link that they were gonna be able to process that loan in the timeline they've committed and they never wanted to do it. They don't care. They're out there for you know, a numbers game, not necessarily success rate. You know, the chop shops like that, they're gonna lock 100 loans at that interest rate with the intention of maybe closing five of them. Right, right? and unfortunately That's, you could be the five or the 95, right? It could work, right? <laughs> yeah. um, that being said, you know, obviously knowing who you're working with will not only ease the transaction, but right. it also could set you apart from those I think other it buyers absolutely as well does. too. If you can communicate to the seller and say, hey listen, this property is pre-funded, we're ready to rock and roll. The buyer is, is well supported and well funded. If I'm in the seller's position, I would put you at the front of the rank, assuming all other terms are equal, right? Certainly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I call a listing agent because what Matt will do is he'll let me know once he submits an offer. Mm -hmm. Once that offer is submitted, I'm calling that listing agent right away. Not only does it show them that that buyer is approved, mm -hmm. but it also shows them that they're working with a cohesive group on the other end. Right. Matt and I are in communication, that we're working together. Gotta have the team. Correct, because how often do we see people running around trying to get a hold of the lender, trying to get a hold of the agent? Right. I mean, all the time. Right. Right? And I mean, I, nine times out of ten, I can hear listing agents starring our pre-approval letter when we're on the phone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because right now, when it is as hyper-competitive as it is, I mean, just having an out-of-date date on the letter could put you at the bottom of the list. You'd be shocked how many people send offers with no pre-approval. I mean, it's it, it's. I'm like, else. I'm just supposed to trust that your buyers have funds. I don't. You have nothing to say that they can support this purchase. No. And I, I mean, part of this, I think, is that uh, you might actually be seeing this in your industry now. There was a while where real estate seemed easy to do, I think, and a lot of people got in. Yep. And so, unfortunately, there's a lot of agents out there who don't particularly practice at a high-functioning level, in my Certainly. opinion. And so, I think that you get deals that are just done with. Recklessness, you know, is, is the word for it. Um, it's more a throw it against the wall, see if it sticks. Yeah. Right. And right. right now, you just can't afford to do that because every single offer has five backup offers. Right. So, you know, if you're not closing that thing out, chances are it's going to the next person in line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think 100%. And when I think about the big things in an offer, there's only, I mean, obviously your pre approval is like, the bare minimum entry, right? You must be funded to make an yeah, offer. I mean, that's the ticket to the show. Right? Exactly. Yeah. But then moving past that, like when, you're, when we're constructing these offers, there's only so much that you can really change to make your offer more attractive than anybody else's. When we're talking about the lending side of things, in my mind, the biggest things that somebody can do would be to waive an appraisal, which would be to say that no matter what this property appraises for, I'm going to continue in the deal. Yep. And you know, being essentially at risk for the difference if it were to under appraise versus the purchase price, correct? correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I want to go into that a little bit. Oh, please do. That's something that we're seeing more so now than ever. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the conversations I'm having with my borrowers is, hey, if I'm waiving this appraisal or at least the appraisal contingency, or if I'm making mm -hmm. up a gap, what's the implications of my loan? 
right? So for conversation purposes, if you're buying a house at $500,000 right. and you're putting down 10% down and that house then appraises for 480,000, mm -hmm. if you're gonna be making up the difference, you then you need to make up that $20,000 in cash and then you're then putting that 10% down on the 480. So you still have your 10% commitment just on a slightly adjusted value because it didn't appraise out. Correct. And you now have the responsibility for the delta. Correct. And you're making up that difference. That being said, you could adjust to a 5% down payment to help make up some of that cash. Right, if you're tight. Right. Yeah. But it's just worth noting, that's the loan value that we're going off of. That's the home value that we're going off of. And that's the shortage that you're going to need to make up. Well, and it should, it's worth mentioning what an appraisal is. I mean, this is an assessment of value from the bank. So, I mean, if the bank's telling you that you're overpaying, it's not to say you can't proceed or shouldn't proceed, but you need to be eyes wide open on the fact that you're overpaying for an asset in the eyes of the lender. Exactly. And not to be the compliance police here. Yeah. However, that is a third party service. So that's the, fair. The fair. banks, the, the banks, appraisers, the, right? the banks, the that's banks fair. are going to order the appraisal. We're going to send Please the appraisal. Please don't sue me. Out. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that used to be a source of a lot of fraud. So that's why we kind of stay out of that process. We send it fair off. Enough. Right. Fair. That being said, right now I'm taking advantage of a tool I have too, where we have an online database which will go through properties and let us know ahead of time if we're gonna be able to get an appraisal waiver, awesome. right? Now what Matt's referring to is the buyer's ability to waive that appraisal, mm -hmm. i.e. they're gonna buy that property no matter what it appraises at. However, as a lender, when we're running through someone through our decision engine, not only are we approving the, pro the person, but we could also approve that property up with an appraisal waiver, yeah. i.e. we don't need to run an appraisal at all. Wow. Now, right now I'm utilizing a tool that I have where we can look up properties ahead of time to see if we're gonna be getting an appraisal waiver. Wow. So from the agent's perspective, could you imagine putting in an offer with a pre-approval letter, a commitment letter, and saying, hey, we don't even need to run an appraisal on this. Yeah, it's pretty great, it's pretty powerful. I think that would set you up apart from just about anybody. Yeah. You know, outside of cash. So. Let's assume that somebody's already gone through as much as they possibly can with you. Yep. They have a pre-approval in place. They're, you know, the property is pre-approved. Maybe we don't even need to do an appraisal on it. Yep. You know, sort of the deal is in the best position it can be. But it's still going to be a competitive situation. And now they have to deal with me and the seller and try and negotiate for that property. Yep. I think there's a few tangible things that people can, I would say, change or manipulate in the contract to make it better uh, or more likely for them to succeed. So number one, obviously, purchase price. At the end of the day, if you want something, you gotta pay for it. So if you pay more than everybody else, or if you pay in cash versus a loan, chances are good you're in a better position to win. Most often it goes to the highest price. Yeah, most often most it does, often right? It so let's just call price. it what it is. Yep. Price is heavily involved. Yep. Moving past that though, I do think that as long as you're hitting terms that meet the seller's needs, so closing on a timeline that makes sense for them. If it's vacant, it's probably sooner than later. If they need to find a home, maybe they need some time. So understand what uh, the seller actually needs because I do think that that will impact how you approach the deal. 100%, I mean, I had a deal just one a couple months ago where the sellers needed some time. Right. They were a little worried, understandably so, that they weren't gonna be able to find a home. Yeah. So what we did and what differentiated us from every other offer was we offered them a 60 day close date on top of a 60 day rent back. Wow. Okay. So we gave them 120 days 
to go find that place. And I'm sure they loved it, right? That was the most flexibility they could have hoped for. We weren't the highest price and won that one. Yeah, right? So, so, so sometimes creativity can offset price and it has to be a situation where, yeah, exactly that, right? You do something that meets the seller's needs so much so that price didn't come into play well, or wasn't that, the major And factor. that's why we're asking people questions that we never had before, i.e., can you stay with mom and dad for a little bit? Right. Do you, do you mind going and staying with somewhere else where we go find you something? I mean, right now, anything and everything that's going to set you apart or differentiate yourself, you can win the deal. Well, and speaking of that, I think another major term that's built into the contract that people overlook is the as-is clause. Everybody hears as-is and you assume, A, something must be wrong with the property, and B, you can't do an inspection. Both of those are incorrect in most or many cases. All you're saying by assuming the as-is clause is that you are going to take the property in the state that it's in. You're not agreeing to waive your inspection. You are still contractually obligated to conduct one if you'd like to, and you can take those results and back out of the contract if you want to. What you are saying is that after you do your inspection, you're not going to approach the seller and go, well, there's cracks here, and this doesn't work, and we want $1,000, uh -huh. and it's not ticky-tack let's get $1,000 after we've already negotiated. You said as is, you're buying it as is. That's the intention of it, right? What and are why some of the pitfalls if you were to go back? Well, so you don't leave yourself much flexibility, right? right? In theory, let's say that you accept an as is contract and then after you go under contract, you find something that is a more major item. Maybe the HVAC is broken and needs replacement, right? right? Theoretically speaking, you've agreed to an as-is contract. You've told the seller you're going to take it with a broken HVAC. So exactly. if you want to try and have them fix it or cover it, they have some protection to say that, well, you accepted it as-is. Gotcha. Now, logically, if that seller is not going to be able to fix that for you, chances are good the next buyer is going to see that too. So problems don't go anywhere. So I would say that even with as-is clause for major things, we tend to figure it out and try and find a way forward, or gotcha. you just back out of the contract, right? That's what you're still, yeah. you get your earnest money back most importantly. But where it comes into play, I think for a seller, is if I'm selling my home and maybe your offer is enticing, but I'm already a little thin on the numbers, or I just don't really want to give any more, I could see the as-is clause as, confirmation that we're done going back and forth on smaller items. Yep. You've given me the number you're going to give me. You've told me you're going to inspect it, but you're not going to ask for anything else. So I can assume once we sign this contract, I'm just waiting for the closing date. You're done. Right? You're ready to go. That's it. Assuming the property appraises and we have an inspection that's okay, right. we're good. So I think there's value in that because sellers see this eliminates speed bumps, as is as a way to eliminate the speed bump of inspection along the path, or at least make it more swallowable. So essentially, they're just making it easier for the deal to close. For totally. The it's the whole know? thing. Which we're seeing that all the time right now, too, especially with the as-is properties. Right. We still need to get it inspected, or I'm sorry, appraised as well, too. Right. I would right. still do your appraisal as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, there's, there's value in all of these. And that's the last one. This is by far the riskiest approach, but the appraisal is coming into a place. So I think we have to talk about it. Like, you're talking places are pre-appraised or can get a pre-appraisal. When you get bidding wars, sometimes the numbers get way out of whack, right? Something might be listed at 450, but it goes under contract at 525 because it was bid up like crazy. We see that all the time right now. So now that's kind of the reality that we're dealing with. And it does create some difficulties in predicting whether or not something's going to appraise. So I think that there are ways buyers are manipulating the chances or at least changing their story so that sellers are a little bit more comfortable with where appraisals are going. So the two that I've seen, I mean, the obvious one is to waive it. Just say that you accept the risk. We talked about that. Yep. I think it's very risky. I don't necessarily advise that. 
it's certainly something you could do if you're in a financial position to take it on. If you can take it on and this is the place that you love. And it's the home, right? right? Because you that's the riskiest thing you can do, I think, with a loan or a mortgage-backed um, purchase. Certainly. I mean, I've seen people have to pay a pretty, a pretty penny, right? Right. I mean, right. I can't tell you how many times that has happened. But again, like you had mentioned, if you're in the financial position to do it and you love that place, why not? Right. Right. Well, and I mean, any agent worth their salt should be able to run some numbers for you to say within a reasonable degree of certainty, okay, I think there's data to support this property up to this value. Mm -hmm. So you can come up to with a, a relative degree of certainty about how much you think you might be overpaying. Right. If your agent tells you, I see data to 450, but you're paying 470, you might have to assume you're going to have to come up with 20 grand. Right. So just think in advance. And actually, you know, along those lines, sort of a way to not waive appraisal but come somewhere in between, I'm seeing what's called an appraisal gap clause. So basically upfront, buyers are agreeing to cover a certain gap in an appraisal. They might say, seller, I will cover a $10,000 appraisal gap in the event it happens. And if they offered 470, the property appraises at 460, they'll still pay you 470. They've agreed to $10,000. And that seems like it was one of those mechanisms that just kind of came up because it needed to. I think so. Right? It was a total like, creation of necessity. Like I, I've, I've never once heard of that up until recently. Yep. But right. now I can't tell you a deal that doesn't have it either. Uh, it's amazing. Everybody's like, are you going to submit an appraisal gap clause? I'm like, yes. I didn't even know what that was three yeah. weeks ago. Apparently you know? there's a clause now, right? So yeah, there's a short form for it. So I would say, again, don't jump to use these things. You're going to hear a lot of terms like, my goodness, I can't tell you how many buyers know the term escalation clause, and I'm sure I'm not helping by saying it now. These things can be a tool. It's not to say that you should use it every time. I have buyers come to me when we're submitting an offer. We don't know of any other offers in the deal, and they're like, we should use an escalation clause. I'm like, I don't, why would you tell the seller that you want to potentially pay more? An escalation clause is you saying that I will pay up to a certain amount if you can show me a competitive offer just below that amount. So you might offer 450 saying I would escalate the deal to 475 if you can provide me with an offer of 474 or lower, right? Gotcha. Um, and that's, that's what, how that clause would be used. But I mean, buyers are just throwing it out the gate. I'm like, do you even understand? the terms of what you're saying? Well, and that kind of goes in line with why we're doing this because just as how crazy it is, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Totally, too much. You know? And yeah. how many buyers, sellers do you have that just got done with a three hour marathon on HGTV? Right. They're telling you how to work your job. Completely. Right? Yeah. So I think like we touched on it earlier, as crazy it is, as, as, as competitive as it is, you need to work with people that know what they're doing right now. Yeah. Now more than ever. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So to wrap this up. Yeah. Think, any closing thoughts for us before we all go back to the craziness that is March Madness tonight? Well, I've missed about a hundred phone calls in the time that we've done this. <laughs> I put my phone on airplane mode because I knew we would I, not get through this. I don't want to look at my emails. <laughs> right. Um, the market's that, still busy even while we're filming, my friends. It is. It is. That being said, you know, uh, we touched on it, but working with people right now that know what they're doing will yeah. set you apart just for the reasons that we've we've kind of gone through here. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a number of things that you can do to combat how tough it is out there right now. Totally. Yeah. You know? And I think it all comes with being prepared. Talk to people who are smarter than you, frankly, right? I talk to people who are smarter than me on this stuff every single day. And all that's how we get to where we get. So mm -hmm. if you have questions, contact a lender, contact a real estate agent, contact one of us. We'll talk you through anything that you want to talk through. Um, people are successful today. We, I have a lot of buyers who are finding success. Oh, it's just uh, harder than it was a year ago or two years ago. You know, I will tell you, you shouldn't be in the marketplace unless you're serious. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
and that's probably uh, good advice. And you need to Always. be and you need to be prepared. Yeah. Right. You, do. you need to be prepared. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to check out a place, you're you're prepared to write an offer on it. The minute you leave, you need to be considering whether or not you want to write an offer. Absolutely. Yeah. Take your time, but hurry up. Maybe that's what we're going to call the episode. <laughs> that's a good way to end that one, huh? Oh, I love it. Thank you for watching. Like, subscribe, comments. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, share this with your friends, and we'll see you next time. Derek, pleasure. Pleasure as always. Have a good weekend, guys.